The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman, Brett King, Cameron Colley and Alec Doughty. indeed welcome along and thanks for joining us for episode 124 of the boys of tech for monday 11 july 2011 my name is edwin herman we're missing brett king we're also missing cameron collie but we do have lucky for us alec doughty welcome along alec oh hello again so it's just you and me this week again it looks like it yeah now by the way did you see the steve jobs look-alike ad selling taiwanese tea no, I didn't. <laughs> this is just a side thing. It's, it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. But you should wow. uh, you should check it out. Do uh, when you get a chance next. And same for our listeners. If you haven't seen this, it is kind of funny. Uh, do a search for Steve Jobs lookalike Taiwanese tea, and it, you'll see. Um, there's a YouTube clip of this, and it's as the name suggests. It's a, a, a sort of a Steve Jobs lookalike doing a Steve Jobs impression to sell Taiwanese tea. And the other thing that I discovered this week was. They found this 2,000-year-old shipwreck. Well, they found it a while ago, but they've only just analysed the contents of some tablets, some some ancient medicines. Did you hear about that? No, again. It's incredible stuff. They Wow. They found these, these tablets in this shipwreck that they discovered. This shipwreck, I think, was discovered in the late 80s, I believe. But it's only now, with DNA sequencing and whatnot, that they've been able to find out the contents of these pills. And what, what nationality was the actual ship? Was it like a Chinese ship? No, it was either Roman or Greek, they think. It uh, ran aground, I guess, sunk, I don't know, whatever it did. It, it uh, shipwrecked off the coast of Tuscany. It was only in something like 18 metres of water. Oh, so that's fairly shallow. Yeah, yeah. And they found these tablets, and, and they've now analysed them, and they found that they were uh, crushed up vegetables and crushed up plant matter, also clay as well, which is used today, by the way, to treat gastrointestinal yeah. problems. So, well, and, and, and also as a base for the tablet. Yeah, well, that, that would figure. So they found it to contain extracts of parsley, radish, yarrow, and hibiscus. Ah. Hmm. And they think that it was, would have been taken by sailors to treat gastrointestinal complaints such as dysentery and diarrhoea. Interesting. Mm, fascinating stuff. So uh, probably not quite as fascinating, but certainly big news is News Corp shutting down News of the World. Yes, this is, this is huge, I think. I, I, I think this is almost paradigm shifting as a sort of world event where, where one of the largest papers in Britain closes down, regardless of why it closed. It is. It's one of the largest British papers and it's closing. And it's 168 years old. It's got 168 Absolutely. years of history. Yeah. I mean, it, it's actually quite sad yeah. that it fell so low. There are a bunch of rumours circulating about that that publication, wasn't there? There were about phone hacking. Yeah. Well, this is why they closed it down, because of the, the scandal that most recently broke um, earlier earlier last week, I think it was Tuesday last week, about a uh, 2002 incident where the paper or someone at the paper had hired a private investigator to hack into the uh, like a message bank phone account 
for a mobile for a a 13-year-old girl who was missing at the time and they were doing bad things like deleting messages and They were deleting messages? Yeah. I mean, it was really bad. Why would they want to do that? I'm not sure. I don't know. I can kind of Um, understand them hacking. I I don't condone that, but I understand why they would want to do it because I guess they want to get information out of that so they can presumably report on it, I'm guessing. But why would you want to be fiddling with To maintain scoops. Yeah, but why would you want to be deleting messages? Yeah, well, I mean, ethically, it's just completely wrong. Aside from the the legal issue, like the police were actually monitoring that message box and because these messages were disappearing, they were thinking that the the girl was still alive. So that's got huge implications there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and whether it was sanctioned by the paper or or whether it was like a, a rogue editor had hired this private investigator is really beside the point. The fact that it was happening is, is the thing is, 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 do you think that's why they closed it down? I mean, or is it oh, just. Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. That is the reason they closed it down. Rupert Murdoch is actually going to the UK basically for damage control. He'll be there in the next day or two. They've run their, their last newspaper. Yeah, that was run, what, yesterday, I think? Yeah. Sunday? Yep. Mm. Yeah, well, the, the presses went on uh, Saturday night, but yep. Right, it, okay, for release on Sunday. For yeah, release yesterday. Yeah. Wow. So that's would that be the wouldn't be the oldest though, would it? Or I'm not sure about that. But it's it certainly uh, got a long history, as you can yeah. see. Yeah. Circulation of three point seven million. I'm, look, I must admit that doesn't seem like a lot. It doesn't. But I mean, it's it's sizable, yeah, but it's not. It, well, I think that's a testament to the fact that newspapers themselves are a dying breed. If 3.7 million is the largest selling Sunday paper in the UK, newspapers in general are in trouble. Sunday papers don't have the highest circulation anyway. No. So they, I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah. So what's going to happen when Rupert Murdoch goes to England? What's, what's the deal there? I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm sure he'll be having uh, closed door sessions with politicians and Scotland Yard and, and, and those types of organisations. I would think. Yeah, the rumours were definitely rife, and if there is anything that that will come out of this, I I guess it'll be the other newspapers that get to report on it. Yeah, yeah, or whatever newspaper bounces back out of News Corp, because they're killing this name, but they're still going to need a Sunday paper. Yeah, well, that's true. Or do they decide that Sunday's just not a day for 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 hard copy news? Yeah, for them, as far as they're concerned. Who knows? Who knows, yeah. Now, Facebook has added Skype video chat. Have they done this already or is this coming soon? No, oh, it's coming I'm soon. I'm not sure. It? I think it's coming soon, yeah. Yeah, so they've announced a partnership with Skype uh, to, to in future, to hopefully soon, to add a video chat. So presumably you'll be able to select a friend and uh, initiate a video chat just like that. You don't need to launch Skype or find them on Skype and say, look, what's your username on Skype and all this sort of business. It's there, it's integrated, and it'll just one, work. One click, call. Yeah. Um, yeah. At the moment, though, they're only planning on it being uh, one-on-one calling. So, if it was released as sort of a, a quick shot across uh, Google Plus's bow, it kind of falls short of the mark because Google Plus is a full group video chat facility. Oh, yeah, the the Hangout feature, isn't it? Yeah. The yeah. Hangout. Yeah. See, that's you're right. That that's right off the mark. Has uh, what do you call it? Multiple. You know, conference video chat thing. Absolutely. 
So I'm I'm not sure about that. Facebook has implemented a new chat um, feature of the site so that they've basically changed the existing chat a little bit, I think, in preparation for the Skype calling malarkey. The other thing about this Facebook thing is that it actually requires uh, a jar or a an exe to be downloaded and run as the Skype client that integrates with Facebook. Oh, does it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a one-time download, but it, it it's right. still a executable that has to run in within the browser. Right. Oh, that's not too bad. That, that's yeah. sort of uh, semi-light. Yeah, I suppose. And Google Chat does similar things. I mean, it does it in the background, but it still downloads a plugin. I wonder why they didn't use Flash or, or Silverlight or something. Yeah, I'm not sure. Or maybe it needs there's, greater access to the hardware. I don't know. There's, I, I think the strength of Skype is its distributed peer-to-peer network. It's not a client-server product, so it scales very well. So adding in another 750 million users from Facebook isn't actually going to impact Skype's performance. In fact, if anything, it'll make it stronger because Skype actually uh, relies on on what it calls supernodes to route the peer-to-peer traffic. And the more users that are on it at any one time, the more supernodes and the stronger the network. I've been really happy with the way, you know, this whole podcast is recorded over Skype and has been since day one, back in January 2009. And it's doing a great job. Skype is great. You know what? We've never had it unavailable for the podcast. Now, that's not to say they haven't had their outages. They they have. We've reported on them here. but They absolutely have. You know, they haven't been out for a week or more or anything crazy like that. And, when it, and it always seems to work. Only a couple of times uh, you or Brett or Cam will sound a little sort of robotic Crackly. and metallic. Yeah. 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 Yep. But, you know, I mean, over the public internet, I mean, you know, that's I, I find it really good. Yeah. And I guess really now the deal is, is somewhat between Facebook and, and Microsoft, really, because they're going to be the future owners once the, well, once it gets approved, uh, the future owner of, owners of Skype. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, um, Microsoft are actually shareholders within Facebook as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Now, they, I guess um, that kind of yeah, makes the, sense. The, the, the B, I want to go on Newswatch here for a minute. The BBC article that, that I read had describing Microsoft as a major shareholder in Facebook, but Microsoft only own a 1.6% stake. So I would hardly call them a major shareholder. Yeah, 1.6% is, is very small. It is. It is. It was in uh, 2007, I think, and it was a $240 million investment at a $15 billion valuation. There's 1.6%. Yeah, you're right. It's one point, that's nothing. I thought the BBC have incorrectly reported this, you know, the use of the word major. Yeah. Or all the other shareholders are less than 1%. Which well, case, you know. <laughs> that's, I guess that's an option as well. <laughs> I, have, I have a feeling that's not the case, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, still misleading though. It, it is, yeah. But they are they, certainly they they have a somewhat of an interest anyway, and and let's face yeah. it, one point six isn't insignificant. Uh, no, you know, no. especially when you're talking. Uh, it's a healthy know. stake. When when their most recent estimated valuation was like a hundred billion, so that's a pretty good return on investment for Microsoft. And that's more than some countries' GDP. I know. 
Crazy. It is crazy. Now, Apple, what's Apple been doing? <laughs> this is an interesting one. There, there's a report on, uh, which site was it now? Gorka. Yeah, Gorka. That it appears as if Apple is blocking emails sent through its webmail interface based on the content. Now, they've done a series of tests, and shall I read the text out that they sent? I think so, because that was really interesting. Mm. Okay, so the email that was initially sent, uh, which I guess triggered the suspicion, went like this, and I quote, The authoritarian government in Syria, Greece, Saudi Arabia, and Yemen continue to oppress and massacre their own citizens. Their manipulative and combative attempts at controlling the media and their citizens are unethical and illegal. They continue to oppress its own citizens through beatings, harassment, jailing, and killings. Stop the oppression of innocent Arab people. Take a stand against authoritarian oppressive regimes. Equal rights to all people. End quote. So that was what was attempted to be sent, and it never made it to the destination. Yeah, this was on a, uh, a me.com uh, mobile me email address sending like logging in and attempting to send that message to a, an external email address outside of mobile me so a different domain and yeah it it got blocked cult of mac are uh sort of calling it a uh spam filter but it smacks of just censorship the thing is, we should also point out that, you know, just the, the one email go, not going through doesn't mean anything. They did try this. I think Cult of Mac attempted it three times, mm-hmm. and each time it was blocked. And yep. then they sent, later on, they tried a different message to those accounts, and, and they made it. You know, I think they said, sent a message saying, this is a test, and all three went through. Now, interestingly, I was reading the uh, the, the, the comment board on the Gawker article, and one guy Actually, he must have been bored or something. So he, he logged in and he attempted to send a whole bunch of different emails, all right, breaking the message down sentence by sentence. So he sent the first sentence that got through. He sent the second sentence, which was their manipulative and combative attempts at controlling the media and their citizens are unethical and illegal. They continue to oppress its own citizens through beatings, harassment, jailings and killings. That didn't make it through. Every other sentence made it through. Actually, there was two sentences anyway, wasn't it? Did they, it was, Did they break yeah. that down? Or? No, that block didn't go through. You see, this is interesting. Now, the thing is, as you said, uh, people are wondering now, is this a form of censorship or is this just the types of words that might get caught up in a, any stock standard spam filter? Yeah. Um, interestingly, all right, spam filters are usually incoming, not outgoing. Usually, but, but not necessarily, yeah. you know, not, not exclusively. I mean, not, inc- not, not exclusively, not in enterprise. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. Within enterprise, there's filters that block incoming and outgoing messages. But for a major player in in the free web email, email game, I, I think this is a block, blocking outgoing messages is a heinous thing to do. But surely webmail interfaces is one place where spammers can take advantage of to send spam. Doesn't it make sense to to block outgoing spam from a webmail interface? Oh, I guess so. I hadn't actually uh, thought of that. You make a valid point. You make a valid point. So really the line is, 
a little blurry, but I, I accept that to fight spammers and that they're out there and you can automate bots to just hit a website and do whatever it wants to do. Um, I, I guess, well, I guess arguing the other way would be that they could just put an image capture or something like that on it. Although, exactly, although on said, the login. Yeah, 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 on the login. Although having said that, that's just one extra annoyance of people and, and maybe that's why they haven't. But it is interesting, the words, as you say, that get blocked. Mm. It is hard to tell whether it's a censorship or whether it's perhaps an overzealous spam blocker, but certainly there's there's something that's not quite right and perhaps that message ought to have gone through. Mm. You know, whether we, we agree with it or not. I, it's a, Absolutely. It's, that, I think that, that particular message, there was nothing wrong with it. No, no. We, we can agree, you can disagree, but with the actual content in terms of yep. is it, you know, something that could be legitimate versus a bot-generated email? I, no, it's not a bot-generated email at all. It's it's just a, a political message uh, sent you by know. someone and it should go through. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's not like there were three or 400 emails all, all sent from the same IP address on that account. Yeah, no, exactly. So, it wasn't, uh, it's not yeah. like it was, you know, going over a threshold of some sort. So let, let's be generous and call it a bug. <laughs> now, one person who tried this contacted Apple customer service, didn't they? They did. And the quote that we've got here is, I understand the wish to see some feedback from our servers regarding messages which were blocked. However, doing so isn't something I imagine will happen soon. Providing a bounce back for messages we block as spam provides an essential feedback loop for spammable mirrors. By not providing one, we keep them in the dark a little bit more. That's the end of the quote and it's a little... Dark. Well, I can kind of see what they're saying. I think what they, you know, if if they do get a bounce back, then I guess the spammers perhaps will get a clue as to why it's being blocked. If a spammer sends spam through a system and it gets a bounce back saying, oh, "Sorry, uh, you know, words these following words or certain words in your email were blocked," they'll just change their. I, I can see that, but I think there's a difference between it. It just tumbleweeding and and the user not getting even a generic your mail was blocked like not an error message that goes oh on the mail server error but just something one, later two, three, on four, um the word illegal or drugs or whatever has been blocked but they're not even getting that they're not even getting a, a, a generic courtesy feedback message to say your message was blocked yeah that's true and they, they could do that couldn't they Absolutely. It can be after, as you say, not during the uh, ECMTP protocol, not during the, the mail, uh, you know, sending yeah. part of it, but just perhaps as, as a, afterwards. So it yeah. accepts the message, yeah, just, says nothing, says, yep, that's fine, I'll, I'll deliver that. But in actual fact, a few minutes later, it could send a message back saying, actually, we didn't deliver it. Yeah. Mm, and it doesn't do that, does it? Now, Apple has issued a response to this. They say, we want to make it clear that Apple is not blocking MobileMe email due to political content. Occasionally, MobileMe's automated spam filters may block legitimate user emails by mistake. If a customer feels that a legitimate email of theirs was blocked this way, we encourage them to get in touch and report the issue to MobileMe support. So, you know, I... But how do they know it was yeah, blocked? Well, they don't. Exactly. You have to... I know. How do you know it was blocked? I mean, what do you do? Uh, 
Yeah, that's and that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, perhaps that, that's the problem. I think if they did what you just suggested, and that is send a generic bounce back, yeah, you know, after the fact, I guess it solves all don't, problems, doesn't it? Exactly. Don't don't say what content caused the issue. No, because that will that could help just the spammers. Say, yeah, for customer service, just give them a a one liner saying could not be delivered content against policy or or, or some description. Yeah, and then they know to, to contact mobile me support because right now you, yeah. the person sending it has no idea. Yeah, I mean that could be the message. Please contact uh, mobile me support as uh, your message has been blocked. Yeah, there you go. You should work for Apple. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> okay, now bring them down from the inside. <laughs> Is that what you'd plan to do? <laughs> okay, so. Now the other the other thing that's not going Apple's way too well is you may recall that Apple has was seeking an injunction against Amazon from using the term App Store because Apple have decided that the term App Store belongs to them. Now a judge has agreed that the term isn't entirely generic, which was Amazon's argument for why they should be allowed to use the term. But having said that, the judge still didn't enforce the injunction, so it's kind of a bit of a bit of on the fence decision it seems to me. I think the judge is saying that while it's not a generic term, and I tend to disagree, I think it is a generic term, but the judge is the person making the decision. Uh, The judge is saying that while it's not a generic term, they don't think that it's actually going to cause confusion to consumers. And as far as trademark is concerned, that is the yardstick. Is it going to cause consumer confusion? Yeah, that's right. Uh, unless it's a registered trademark, but I don't think it is registered. It it's not. It's not. It's not a registered trademark. So you're right. That's uh, if it's not a registered trademark, because ra- trademarks don't have to be registered. If they are registered, you've got sole rights over that completely. If it's not registered, if you're just using the the mark like Apple are, then yeah. you're right. It's the decision is uh, is it going to cause confusion to customers? Is the Amazon App Store going to be confused with the Apple App Store? Yeah. And uh, as you said, the judge uh, thinks not. I, I tend to agree as well. I don't think I don't think so. I think Apple are, are doing what any company would probably try and do, and that is grab as much as they can. But I, th- I think they're being unrealistic here. They're trying to bite off more than, than they can chew. I think the other issue here is the the actual trademark law itself, which dictates that if you don't defend your mark vigorously at every opportunity, you will lose your mark. Oh, is that the way it works in the States, is it? That's the way it works everywhere, as far as I know. Definitely the way it works in the States. Oh, that'd be interesting. The the uh, way it works in Australia as well. Is that right? I know there's a use it or lose it clause, which is different. Yeah, that's that's different. But if a company, for instance, has a mark and it doesn't defend that mark against a competitor, a small competitor that comes into the market they're doing nothing, so they're ignoring them. And then all of a sudden, five years later, that small company explodes, becomes a power. All of a sudden, that old company, the incumbent company, couldn't defend it because it didn't enforce it when the perceived slight happened. Yeah, that's interesting. I which, guess which you'd, is, you'd have to closely monitor your competitors to see if they're using your, your trademark at any, at any yep. time. Well, we better check that no one's using the boys of tech. <laughs> <laughs> From Apple to flying cars then. Now, how do you even pronounce this? The, the terra 
Terrafugia? Terrafugia, I think. Is that what it is? Yeah, the that's terif- how I'm saying it. Right, that'll do. We'll go with that. The Terrafugia Transition. It's a, a roadable aircraft. It's a, a sort of a, a plane car or a car plane, however you want to describe it. It's I would f- call it a car plane. So it's a plane that has car-like tendencies. Yeah, it's it's a plane that has foldable wings that has just been given road safety exemptions to be able to drive on U.S. streets. Right. By so the normally, US Department of Transport. Right. So normally, it wouldn't be a street legal item. No, like planes are not street street legal roadworthy items. <laughs> Can you imagine a plane a plane driving down the the highway? Yeah, that would be weird. Be very weird. The wings would be a bit of a pain. I guess that's part of the reason. Yeah, I mean that's just a scene out of uh, Die Hard, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. That goes back a while now. But you're right. You also mentioned it's been given some exemptions so that it can be roadworthy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the price tag for one of these is only between 150 and 250k. Yeah, I mean it, it's not a lot of money. It's not a lot of money, but when, when you compare it to an ultralight, which is effectively it's it's um, or even a single prop airplane, I think it's fairly equivalent, if if not just a little bit expensive, because I think single prop airplanes are going from anywhere from 100 to 150. Oh, is that right? You know, some so, Mercedes Benz are more expensive than that. Yeah, yeah. There are some cars. The Tesla Roadster is more expensive than that. That was two fifty, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. So, but I, I I just love the fact that we finally have flying cars on the horizon, even if it's not in a form that yeah, we. Yeah, that's we, right. Originally, it's not a Jetsons sort of take off from a from a hovering start or no. anything like that with jets and stuff. But it's a good first step. And it's only two thousand eleven. So isn't that cool? Exactly. Yeah, it's. Mind awesome. you, it was supposed to be the year two thousand, wasn't it? That we had all these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should have, should have happened years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe, maybe like you say, this is a sort of a step towards those old those flying cars that you see everywhere, well, that yep. you used to see everywhere in the, in the you know science fiction. Yeah. Finally, we're in the future. Yay! It's nice to be in the future. So if you get a chance, do check it out. Terrafugia. T e r r a f u g i a. You search on that, that'll come up. This is a great photo here I'm looking at. It's uh, it's pretty cool, I think. Yeah. Now, Turntable FM, you know, I must admit, I haven't actually heard of this until until this week. They were looking for uh, venture capital, I think, 40 million. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, or, well, no, well, looking for 5 to 10 million. Looking for 5 to 10 based on a 40 million valuation. That's right. And what do they get? Okay. I think they've so far raised, what, 7.5 million, but yeah. that's based on a 37.5 million valuation. So tell us about Turntable FM. What exactly is it? Okay, well, Turntable FM is a cool little social experiment. I think that that's probably the right term for it, where you've got five virtual DJs. So five people can – you set up a room and you give it some some loose rules. Um, it's not enforced by the website itself. It's it's a community enforcement. So the rule could be, it's got to be songs in progression, starting from A, running through Z. So you, DJ one plays a song starting with A, DJ two plays a song starting with B, etc. So you've got five DJs all playing off each other. And then you've got a whole bunch of other people who can come into the room and actually listen to what these five DJs are doing. 
up to five DJs. So it's really a, a remote communal music sharing experience where, where you're not actually downloading music. It's being streamed to you. So, so the, does it does it always have to be a theme like that? Like you, you get no, the example no, 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 of no. Zen, you could, or? Yeah, you could you, you could just do whatever you want and set up your own room and play whatever you want, no rules. But that kind of gamification of it, I think, would make it more fun. Have you tried it out? Not this specific one because it's only available in the US. Ah, and so this is US in, only, it, right? Probably it's licensing. It's US res- only and it's in a private beta at the moment, so it's invite only. Ah, okay. And the invites are pretty hard to come by. Right, um, and I, I dare say it'd probably stay in the US for a while until they get their licensing sorted out yeah, because, you yeah. know, like, like any, within the industry, music rights are devolved throughout all the different countries uh, to their respective music industries in those countries. So, you know, they have to negotiate with each of those. And that's the same with, with anything for them. Like iTunes, for example. You know, iTunes can't just accept customers in some random country. They have to first make a deal with the music industry, you know, the, the music companies. In that country. In that country, yeah. that's right. Mm. Yeah. So it'll be the same with this, obviously. So it'll stay in the US for a while, I'm yeah. guessing. But that is kind of cool. I, I like this idea. Yeah. There's an alternative site that I've I found because I was I was dying to experience this this sort of thing. There must be someone else out there that's doing something similar. And I found a service called Listening Room, which provides similar. It, it's not five DJs kind of cool up up in the on a virtual DJ deck. Um, it's just a, a plain old site, really. It, 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 there's no way of gamifying it, really. But it's still kind of cool. And you can still share music remotely with friends, listening to it all at the same time. And so yeah. who chooses the music? Is it just one person or? No, anyone who's logged in. Oh, so anyone can, can listen yeah. and anyone can select. Yep. yep. Right. Which is Very sweet. Good. So my... my Friends and I used to do what we used to call a, a three-song challenge where we would play uh, three songs and then hand over to the next the next person who would then play three songs and, and we would put similar sort of gamification rules of it needs to follow the same genre or the same artist or something like that. And this just allows, because we're all getting older and we have less time, we don't get together as much. So doing it remotely is the next best thing. So this was on the this other site you were talking about? Yeah. Now, yeah. Does it, it, but even, even Turntable FM, yeah. So it's does great. that reflect your interest in real life? Are you a bit of a DJ as well? I have DJed once or twice, but it wasn't never a profession. Yeah. But mu- music is, is, is one of my, my loves. Yeah, I actually run a, a low-power FM station here in, in Wellington and I just don't get enough time these days. I've kind of moved on to podcasts a little bit. I still do a little bit with the radio station every now and again. Yep. Having said that, I'm now sort of finding the, a sort of a middle ground where I'm integrating the radio station with the internet. So, for example, I, I believe we're the first radio station in the world, actually, to accept requests live over Twitter and play the song fully automated. So, Which is pretty cool in itself. I, I take my hat off to you, sir. <laughs> it was a good fun thing because it was just one of those yeah. things. That like, is anyone doing this? I don't think so. Let's do it. So right now you can uh, put a request over for over at my radio station via Twitter. And as I say, it'll if it's got the song, it'll play it straight away. It even tells you how long the queue is if there's been a lot of people requesting songs or whatnot. But uh, anyway, there you go. So coming back to this story, though, if you're in the US and most of our listeners are to this podcast, 
You won't be able to sign up at the moment, right? Because it's in it's in beta. But do have a look anyway and get an idea of what it's about. Turntable.fm. Yeah, it'll come out of closed beta pretty soon, I reckon, because it, it's growing really quickly. I mean, they've got it three hundred thousand users already in two months. That's right. Yeah, three in closed beta. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, this thing could yeah easily sprout really fast. Yeah. Now, in Australia, where you are, Alec, Telstra and Optus, I think, have started censoring the web earlier this month. Now, what's the general feeling of that? How's, you know, I mean, the, the, it's done under the guise of what, of, of illegal porn, like child pornography and stuff like that. Is that right? Ex- exactly, yeah. The government tried to introduce something like this sort of two years ago and there was a big fuffle about it and, and they basically shelved it. There was even some some trials, like a, a, a beta program almost with a couple of ISPs, a couple of the bigger ISPs that, that effectively showed that it doesn't work even. We're in a similar situation. It's when I say we, I mean New Zealand, where, where you know where I am. We're in a similar situation here. We've had, I think, voluntary censorship for is it about a year, maybe now. Mm. And so there's a bunch of ISPs, the major ones actually, have signed up for this, and uh, it is voluntary. They don't have to do it. But the concern here isn't so much about oh, you shouldn't be blocking child porn. That's obviously no one's saying that. But what people are saying is, what is blocked and what isn't? You're not making it clear. Are you going exactly. to be, are you going to be blocking things on a, politi- of a political nature? Kind of a bit like that. The sort of rumors around that Apple sort of spam filtering, whatever you want to call exactly. it. Exactly, it's a black hole. So exactly. the, 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 the the problem is that the blacklist is actually a closed list because they're using the justification of child porn. That there's there's rules that say that those sorts of lists can't be disclosed. So because of that, if, if a business, a legitimate business gets blocked for whatever reason, they have no recourse. They can't even ask why they got blocked because it's it's a black hole. Exactly. And if you look at the boys, at, it's actually two years ago now. I, I just had a look. If you look at the title to our ninth episode, that's Boys of Tech episode nine, it's the first rule about the list is that there is no list. And that's, ex- that's exactly what we were talking about here in New Zealand, where there's going to be this blacklist. But you're not allowed to know what's on the blacklist. Exactly. It's like Fight Club. The first rule about Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. Yeah, exactly. And so now the people are sort of now wondering, are we trapped behind this firewall that could be like the Great Firewall of China? You know, And, and I, I have no doubt that the current government is, is genuinely wanting to do the right thing here giving them the benefit of the doubt for a minute and not wanting to do political censorship and, and that sort of stuff. But essentially, one, once this goes in, any future government can just start using it for nefarious purposes if and when they want. Absolutely. It's they a, lack of, transpar- it's a yeah. lack of transparency that people are moaning about, not the fact that yeah. child pornography yeah. is being blocked. It's, that it, it's, it's not transparent. People don't yeah. know what's being blocked. Well, it, it, it's also the fact that we have uh, a government-provided, basically net nanny type software that the government is providing that taxpayers can just go to the government website and download this this filter that they can install on their own machine. So parents that that do want to block that sort of content can opt in to this filtering. Where I draw the line is the government saying, no, we control everything and it's an all-in situation. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm an adult. I don't need to be told what I can and can't look at. 
Yep, that's right. Yeah, and so uh, I, I know this. It's a it, it's a slippery slope, and or at least that's the risk that it, it becomes a slippery slope. Yeah. And, and yeah. as you say, you know, successive and, governments can do whatever they want with this. Yeah, and ab- absolutely, um, people that are doing wrong things on the internet, such as uh, child pornographers, should be caught and castrated. But right, know. but how do you exactly? What else is it going to catch? What else are they blocking? That you know, yeah. it's they're it's, not doing it the right way. No, is, is, that's right. I guess what I'm saying exactly. So yeah. they're, not, you know, they're not actually setting out to catch them for a start. They're just blocking everyone else from seeing it. Well, exactly. It's a placebo. Well, having said that, if a lot of it's coming from overseas, then, I mean, there's not much the Australian government can actually do. No, but, I mean, that's what Interpol exists for, well, or Europol or whatever it's called now. Yeah, well, that's true. That is very true. Good point. So, yeah, their heart's in the right place, but, yeah, no, no poor delivery. Yeah, and, their uh, brain's not. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. <laughs> There, there you go. And on that note, I'm going to conclude episode 124. Alec, I want to thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's been fun as always. And did you notice your name was in the introduction this time? I did. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's you're like welcome. graduation you. day. <laughs> yeah, it is. that's right. It's graduation day for you. I guess you could call it that. So, yeah, you're now on the intro. And interestingly enough, we don't have Brett, we don't have Cam, but hopefully they'll be with us next week. And until then, have yourselves a great week and hope to see you then. Bye-bye. Bye. See you guys later. Was it like a Chinese ship? No, it was either Roman or Greek, they think. And wow. uh, it was, uh, it, I was going to say crash landed. <laughs> That's not the right word for a ship. Hang on. On a mountain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, During a flood. <laughs> that, well, there you go. That would work. No, it it, uh, it, it sunk. Uh, it ran aground, I guess, sunk, I don't know, whatever it did. It, it uh, shipwrecked. Alec, I almost called you um, um, the other guy, Cam. <laughs> Sorry, I said. <laughs> no, I could leave it at that, the other guy. <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll introduce that again. <laughs> if you have a look at the title of The Boys Attack Episode 9, yep, that's right, 9, one of our first few episodes. In fact, our ninth episode. <laughs> Fancy that. <laughs> um, we redefined the few. Yeah. Few goes up to nine now. It does, yeah. That's what a few is. <laughs>